Listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for the movie Goon. Uh, my name is Tom Chick, and I am here this week with Christian McClansky, uh, McCl- I think it is. It's it's Loopy. <laughs> Did you draw that? Uh, and with a Goon tagline, Kelly Wand. Yeah, 100% of the faces you don't punch won't bleed. Mm, very thoughtful, Kelly Wand. That's good. Uh, we have seen a movie that didn't really have a theatrical release this week, so I can't really tell you much about its box office because it's pretty much negligible. It has had a, a sort of a limited release rolling across several theaters in uh, America and Canada and other such places. It is currently available on pay-per-view, so you can see Goon. Uh, we won't spoil anything just yet. Um, Goon is, however, uh, hovering at 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning most of the reviews have been positive. And Metacritic uh, gives it a 65. That's the average rating that it's got. <laughs> How come those numbers never... Well, they don't mean the same thing. Uh, they don't, not at all, uh, which I think people, I mean, if you're interested in aggregate data, I find it interesting. A lot of other folks might find it boring. But one of them strictly measures whether or not the review is positive. The other one, that's Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic actually only includes reviews that have a numerical rating, a score, and then it averages out the score. Um, so they're, they're, Wait, both, they're both indicating very different types of data. Can I ask another question? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for Rotten Tomatoes, you, people threw Rotten Tomatoes, which were red, at movies they hated, I thought, and then they wouldn't even bring green tomatoes. So the red should be bad. Uh, I'm not sure how the color coding works. Because it's, it's not, it's green, not green, it's, it's ripe. It's, it's ripe or it's rotten. So the green one's the rotten one. It's no, overripe. There's no green. It's just ripe or rotten. Yeah, Kelly, when you're yeah, thinking green. stop lights, green means go, red means stop. <sighs> and yellow means go very fast. All right, the world makes sense. I, I can see the point. Do they have stoplights in Canada? Oh, not cool. <laughs> Too soon. Uh, well, before we, we consult our, our resident Canadian, because Kelly Wand has foregone his American citizenship in favor of Canadian citizenship, and Goon is a very Canadian movie. Uh, I hope that doesn't spoil it for anyone. Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what this thing is that we saw uh, this past week? All right, well, this week we saw Goon. Mm. Not the Goon, just Goon. A 2012 Canadian-American comedy sport movie about... <laughs> A sweet guy who goes from being a bouncer in a bar to trying to make it as an enforcer in professional ice hockey. Uh, the movie was directed by Michael Dowes and written by Jay Baruchel and Evan Goldberg, based on the book Goon, the true story of an unlikely journey into minor league hockey by Adam Fertazio and Doug Smith. It stars... It's a biopic. Yeah, it's a, it's a biopic. Movie. I prefer to say biopic. <laughs> it stars Sean William Scott... Lee Schreiber, Jay Baruchel, 
Alison Pill, and Nicholas Campbell. Goon is rated R mm. for brutal violence, nonstop language, some strong sexual <laughs> content. And nonstop language. It's nonstop. Nonstop language. I think the only movie for which that wouldn't apply would be The Artist. <laughs> yeah, it had stop language and is therefore PG-13. <laughs> but but uh, the, that's what the advisory is. It has nonstop language. Nonstop language. That's disgusting. Ooh, pick at that. Uh, but it also has some strong sexual content. I don't know if you heard that, Kelly. No, it didn't. Uh, I, I seem to recall doing cocaine off of a hooker's back. Yeah, yeah, well, oh, <laughs> nice work, Dingus. Um, so, uh, first of all, I real, real quick want to ask you, Dingus, because uh, I've liked this guy for a while, but I've never had to say his name out loud. Say again the writer's name for the, the, uh, the second build star. Jay Baruchel. That's not a hard name, Tom. Well, I would have assumed that it's like a... It's J-A-Y, fool. <laughs> I would have assumed it, it was like a Jewish thing where you had to do like a kind of a ch, like a J Baruchel kind of thing. I don't know. I heard uh, one dude in an interview, uh, a Canadian dude, say um, Baruchel. But then I heard uh, that cool guy on late night TV who sounds Scottish, who was in How to Train Your Dragon with him, say Baruchel. So I ah, well, he would know. Good. Okay. So Baruchel it is. Good to know. Uh, all right. Uh, oh. now, before we uh, dig any deeper, uh, we want to warn you, if you have not seen Goon, we're about to enter spoiler territory with Kelly Wand's... Uh, oh, wait, wait. Yes, yes. Can I tell a quick... So not, uh, quick Canada anecdote, a can anecdote. Yeah, a pre a synoptic can anecdote. Yeah, yeah. It kind of gets, gets you the mood. Like, sure, yeah. it up. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know how I don't like to do anything? I just like to sit around the house and, like, uh, get baked and read Bleak House and not do anything with people. Okay. Okay. So, there's this pub night. And I blew it off, kind of. And then everyone was talking about it the day after. It was like, oh, you should have gone. It was great. Beer was amazing. I had like nine million different kinds of beer. I'm like, yeah, I was uh, feeling sick or something. And like, yeah, it's just weed pinata. It caught fire, and there's topless supermodels that came out of it. And I'm like, yeah. Mm. And then a guy goes, it was a block down from the bar where Shia LaBeouf got punched in the face. And then I went, fuck. Why did you say that? Why didn't you tell me before? They know how to make an L.A. guy regret that he didn't come out the night before, don't they? Oh, that's my point. Thank you, Tom. It wasn't a pointless story. It had an awesome payoff. In other words, you can take the boy out of L.A., if yeah. you know what I'm saying. 100% of the faces. Tom, Sir. one last thing. Since yes. you're our graphs expert in mm -hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, I noticed this week that my star meter was down 54,000. Wow, that's and I a plummet. That's what I thought, and I wondered how concerned I should be and why that no. happened. Like, what the scandal? That's just that the that's, that's just the exchange rate. Uh, <laughs> see, um, one, I think that means what I'm going to guess. What that means is that last week someone maybe Googled you. This week, no one Googled you. So that so right there, four thousands one guy in fucking Billings, Montana. But perhaps, yeah. Like I don't know. I don't know what fifty-four thousand percent measures, but percentages, Thanks, yeah, percentages can be tricky things. So there's math involved. I can't help you there. Thank and it you. sounds like you're also invoking geography, so even further, I can't help you. And math, my other favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, right. But let's Back get, to the movie. yeah, let's get to a little uh, 
maybe you give us a, a sort of a, an encapsulation a of what happened. Oh, a goonsis, yes. Yeah. It's weird how synopsis so seamlessly melds with all other words. It is sort of the uh, black box of linguistics, isn't it? The word synopsis. The cavemen who invented English weren't fucking around, Tom. <laughs> all right, rock and roll. Give us a goon synopsis. Goonsis. Goonsis. Kind of short, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> goonsis. Stifler plays a Canadian named Doug, eh? His brother's Bob... Wait, his brother Bob's gay, eh? Oh, so that's what hoser means, a boot. His dad is played by iconic American Pie character Jim's dad. Uh, that's what sucks about American Union, by the way. Besides everything, it's like, Stifler's mom has two kids, but in the preview she goes, I'm Stifler's mom. Like, your mom would go, I'm Chick's mom. <laughs> Dink, this is dad. <laughs> Sleep with is, is Stifler his first name? No, that's what I'm saying. If she has multiple kids and she goes, I'm Stifler's mom, like, how does he know which one she's talking about? Well, it depends where she puts the apostrophe. If you know what I mean. <laughs> See, that's better probably than any joke in that movie. And Dingus just farted it out. Anyway, Stifler's dad is disappointed in Stifler for not being a gay doctor like his brother, although he's apparently a pretty awesome bouncer, which means he's creating more injury business for his brother to treat. <sighs> Even though he's a handsome fellow who works in a bar setting every night, he's getting zero lady action, and the only chick who shows interest in the whole movie in him is a stay-at-home alcoholic with a boyfriend who's a robot. One night, he's at a hockey game with his buddy, the She's Out of My League guy, who hosts a video blog on CNN or Public Access or something called Hot Ice. When a guy on the other team takes a penalty, She's Out of My League shouts at him, Haha, you got called for high sticking with 3.52 left in the second period of an exhibition game before a crowd of 1,400. And before any officials or anyone else can stop him, the dude climbs the glass wall of the penalty box and runs up the bleachers on skates and starts to punch him. But Stifler blocks the punch with his face. A talent scout sees this, considers it talent, and calls the TV show the next night to offer Stifler a position on a hockey team. Stifler's whole life is about to change. Now, instead of beating up people for a living wearing wingtips, he's going to do it on skates. To celebrate, he hits on a chick who's kind of like Zooey Deschanel meets that fat chick from To Die For that stalked Nicole Kidman. Not that I'm not interested. <laughs> she makes out with him, but then blows off his phone overtures because she's drunk at home and occasionally also has a boyfriend. I can see why they're together. Stifler finds success as a face puncher of guys who hit his troubled, goal-scoring, concussion-suffering teammate from behind. This means, and the montages suggest, that he does a lot of this, which is great for everybody except maybe the goal scorer. Luckily, though, we're not too hung up about his health because we see him doing a lot of blow and hookers. Or as Dean Martin called it, half-measure hangover cure number four. Stifler's flair for punching people in the face helps and hinders him in the workplace and in his romantic fiascos. It all comes down to a final fracas for glory against rival mentor co-star Lee Shriver's rival goon character with lots of character growth along the way, like Stifler learning he can also effortlessly slap shot goaltend and remain standing on ice skates so long as he has one non-severed limb. But ultimately, it's not what's in the net or the mouth that's important, but the heart and vagina. The end. All right, Kelly Wad, thank you. Nice, yeah. short, sweet, to the point. Yeah. I mean, what can you do with a comedy, though? It's I already know. funny. Yeah. 
It kind of tips you, my I think yeah. you nailed it. Oh. Very good. Very good, Dingus. Why is Dingus? He's on fire tonight. He, he is. Someone put him out. Shit. He just flames <laughs> it. Like extra sparkles. Uh, Kelly Wan, you're Canadian. Uh, <laughs> how did you feel about this movie's portrayal of Canada? Accurate and hot. But it, uh, they're an adorable people, and this is a, I thought I had a lot of affection for this character, and I'm starting to find movies like just where I like the character and want to give him a hug, like enough to sell me on the movie. But you know what? After we sat through Wrath of the Titans last week, right. you know, it, it's so, why is that so difficult? Put a likable character in the lead for Pete's sake already. Uh, is it really that hard? Is it like, you just can't do it? Oh, God. He's, well, you get he's boring cool in the scene. Yeah, but like boring people like Sam Worthington become famous. You know they get lead roles. I recently saw Contraband, for instance, which was really good, except Mark Wahlberg like sleepwalks through the lead role. I mean, what? That's not like him. <laughs> you would never think. But it's like Sam Worthington. So I'm, right. I'm with you. I mean, Sean William Scott was just so likable in this. And that, I mean, if you if you can give me nothing else, at least give me that in a movie. I was kind of grateful. It's the same as you, Kelly Wan. I wanted to hug him and say thank you for not being boring and not making me sit through a comedy with boring leads. Yeah. The moment I loved him most is like where I go, this is like the great one of the greatest movie characters ever, was where uh, the other guy steals his line about... I'll bleed for my team. And he's not he's not pissed off. He's like kind of stoked. Like he's kind of flattered, like, oh, you stole my wallet. He cool. he's he has this great and I, I am the podcast's uh, resident Sean William Scott fan. I have been for a while. Uh, and he, he has this great puppy dog earnestness and dimness. Yeah. And and the scene I think where that's a that's a great example, Kelly Wand. But I love the scene where he wants to get in the game and he's looking at Kim Coates, at the yeah. coach character, <laughs> like a like a dog wanting watching people eat dinner and trying yeah. to pretend not to want the dinner too much. I mean that's just that I mean, was such an endearing uh, performance. Uh, Dingus, you normally uh, you don't like like profanity and crass humor and and gay jokes and nudity and drug references, and that stuff offends you a lot because you're a very straight-laced fellow. So given that this was a pretty crass comedy, uh, how did you react to those things? With a knee-jerk. <laughs> and how does that knee-jerk go? Let's hear a little of that. Ooh. <laughs> what? Uh, I love it. Yeah, See? Not my favorite I, movie I've seen this year. I didn't I love it. it. So much as I'm in love with it, and you know, you guys are you guys are talking about Sean William Scott as if you know, it's, it's endearing and it's a nice. This is for me what uh, what should the type of thing that that should be nominated for an Academy Award. Right. I love what he does in this. I love the things that Tom just described about uh, him being this dim-witted. Uh, I, I don't know how you said it, but you said it really well. Um, but I also li- like that he gets this look in his eyes sometimes that's this feral sort of thing that just sort of drops over his face. Um, and my favorite moment is is when uh, his friend Jay uh, Ryan, I guess Jay Barishall plays like, I think it's Ryan, uh, is, is about to put him on the train. And he just looks at him and goes, I'm going to be okay, right? I just, I loved him in this. I think it's just a masterful performance. In in a comedy and and you don't get recognition for this type of thing enough, right? Right. Yeah. 
And the, the whole yeah. thing, I mean, has this affection for not just his character, but, you know, it portrays Canada, which is the, the writer's home state. I think Jay Baruchel is also Canadian. But Evan Goldberg, who wrote Superbad and Pineapple Express, uh, actually was one of the writers on those two movies, uh, he wrote this movie with Jay Baruchel, and he's from Canada. But it has this great <clears throat> sense of Canada as a, as a land of affable brutes and losers. Yeah. Uh, and they were just all so lovable, and Sean William Scott just fit in so well with this cast, even though he was kind of playing a straight man. Like, he wasn't a clown. Uh, there were plenty of clowns and comedic performances, but he just played this, this affable straight man, which, like, like Dinga said, was a really good performance. You know, you know there was none of this over-the-top Stifler stuff. Uh, it, it just, you know, as somebody who's liked him for a while, I was like, at last, you know, someone gave him good material, and he did great things with it. Yeah. It's also Sean William Scott is portraying Canada and the other guy, the one who gets concussions all the time is the America. Like he has to be there to like take the spit and clean up the mess. Kelly Wan introducing a little geopolitics into yeah. the Well, I was trying to do what you did with Piranha. <laughs> so D- Doug is from America though. He's the Yank. That is true. That is true. Uh, it's very much. It does kind of. Ha- they're they're definitely taking this kind of like fish out of water approach, where the American comes to to Canada and. Uh, but you're right. It's like Canada is. It's like New York level profanity, but super genial. And I, I I really love that combination and being around it all the time. Well, and even with the portrayal of violence, I mean, the the, the first yeah. fight where he and that black guy, the black guy says, "Hey, you want to go?" And they wish each other luck, and they do yeah. the fight. I mean, even the fights are they're they're these very fraternal, uh, almost affectionate uh, kind of rituals, almost, uh, which is really cute. And so that when Liev Schreiber comes in and is more mercenary about it, and he's the brutal one, and uh, you know, where he becomes the, the, his partner in the climactic fight, like, it's still got this very strange, loving, brotherly aspect to it. Yeah. Uh, which, like you said, kind of like genial is the perfect word for it. Yeah, and a passing the torch. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, it might be too early to bring this in, but I, I really like what you just said, Tom, and I'm wondering if the images that happened during the credits uh, affected your feeling about that at all. Yeah, so explain what those images are, Dingus. It's, uh, the, is, what was the guy's real name? Bill. Get back to me on this. Okay. So, so explain, Dingus. You're talking about the footage of the guy with his bruised face talking to the camera, right? Well, first it's just, uh, it's him in actual brawls that, that they might have, uh, made in this movie. And I love the way, uh, the fighting is shown in this movie. I love the way it's stylized. Yeah. Um, I love that first shot uh, after that. The, the guy with the Stevie Wonder hair gets punched and the blood goes down and you see the title card. I, I really love the way those fights are shot. But then when you see the actual footage, it's jarring. Yeah. And but then the and I, and I started to feel because I felt so good at that moment. I felt so great at the end of the movie. I really love this movie so much. Um, but then when I saw that, I started to feel like, oh, that's the reality of it. This is stylized. But then the guy talks. He says, uh, you know, I don't want to be a one-eyed fighter or whatever he says. So it, it kind of balanced out for me. But I was wondering how you guys reacted to that, given what Tom just said about how the fights are are shot as this. Not shot, but but how it's portrayed as this uh, brotherhood almost. Well, when I saw it, I actually didn't know that it was based on a a, a real dude. So Kelly Wan, you said his name was Doug Smith. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, so, I, and I kind of am glad I didn't. I'm, I'm glad I didn't know that, and I didn't really need to know that. So I didn't need that source real material. Well, also from the source material, like he was, uh, the, the real Doug Smith fellow was like a boxer, and he was no just like uh, Cinderella story. I mean, he was a he was a boxer. He he definitely tried to get into hockey. Uh, you know, there were a lot of creative liberties taken with his story. Well, yeah, we can enjoy it. And he's even. Here's another weird detail. The guy is now a police officer in uh, in a in a town in Massachusetts. Like this guy, the actual Doug Smith fellow is a cop somewhere. Um, so I, and you know, that's fine. Good, good for him for, for doing that sort of thing. But, uh, like, I'm not <laughs> sure I, that, well, I'm not, like, I'm not sure I want to extrapolate from the movie I saw to Sean William Scott <laughs> becoming a cop. Like, I don't know how I would feel about that. I uh, thought it was becoming a time traveler cop, like, uh, frequency. Knock, knock. I know. <laughs> I was doing a little cop out reference. Is it Sean William Scott in cop out? Isn't that yeah, him and Bruce Willis? Maybe want to see it. Maybe <laughs> Sean William Scott. Well, I would say, okay, to Sean William Scott fans now, uh, I, I would recommend, I, I don't really recommend the movie Southland Tales, but he g- gets to do something very similar in Southland Tales. He's a straight man to Dwayne Johnson being more of this sort of over-the-top comedy type stuff. Actually, a whole Wait, cast. two movies? Oh, that's right, from Rundown. Very good, Kelly. Why did I didn't even think of that? Because Rundown is more classic, like, Stifler goofing around stuff. But in Southland Tales, he's, he's, he's a cop who has to ferry this, this uh, movie star around, and, uh, and he becomes involved in this left-wing Marxist plot. I mean, Southland Tales is a huge, uh, incoherent like mess. The, the Hard Way with Michael J. Fox and James Woods. It should be so lucky. Yeah, no, it, that, that's, uh, there's way more than that going on in Southland Tales that makes no sense. But Sean William Scott, again, doing not doing his normal comedic clown stuff, uh, was, I remember being very good in that. Uh, and also, even it's sort of a more conventional comedy, but when I looked up the title last week and forgot. There's, there's, no, oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Woodcock. But there's a thing with him and John C. Riley playing competing managers for like a hardware store. Ted Gummit. I think it's Employee of the Month, but the one without Dane Cook that had the same name. Well, there's not even a chicken. I mean, there's women in it, but it's about two dudes. It's about the rivalry between two men, John C. Riley and Sean William Scott. It's called Managers or something like that at any rate. Um, but I really like watching him in, in things like that. Uh, so I, w- I would recommend if you enjoyed him in Goon, figure out what this movie is that I'm talking about with John C. Riley, and maybe consider subjecting yourself to Southland Tales. Is I it, don't say that like Is it promotion or something yes, like that? Yes, uh, the promotion. It might be the promotion because they both are are bucking for a position as a manager of a new like hardware store or Walmart kind of situation. Uh, and it's about their, their competition for that. Um, but another thing that I want to say, so we all like Sean William Scott now. Uh, I really like the rest of the cast as well. I just thought yeah. it had, and that's another thing. You know what, stupid movies? Give me a good lead and make the rest of the cast good as well. Uh, and this was a model for that. Like, I, I loved everyone pretty much in this. So many good actors in this. Uh, and, and given, given stuff to do as well. You know, except for maybe poor Eugene Levy. Uh, I could have done without that, that little subplot where he needs to get his parents' approval. Um, but, but otherwise, I, I really like the cast in this. Yeah, it's not funny either. It's, it's not funny, and it's, it's so predictable. Yes, predictable and pat, Hard. and it's such a regular, yeah, uh, I didn't need that at all. 
High regular movie. That's like a that's like a studio note you would get. Right. All right. <laughs> hey, we found the perfect arc. We know you just want to use them for the comedy and the eyebrows, but it also okay. feels like they're winking at us by having Eugene Levy, especially the way he looks at him when they're coming out of the synagogue at the beginning. It oh. just feels like this whole American uh, reunion. It should have been Dwayne hey. Johnson's dad. <laughs> and this is their third movie together, and they're, it's the same characters. At first, I thought he was moonlighting as a rabbi or something. That he's like greeting people as they come out of the church, as the, of the uh, synagogue. It's just, what's going on here? Yeah. And then I love that all of that uh, ill will about Eugene Levy uh, was wiped away when the wind blows his yarmulke off, and he goes, hey, "Stop blowing my wind, my hat, wind!" <laughs> oh yeah, he, and garbage hits him from the wind too. The wind's garbage always fucking. I mean, yeah, the fact the way, that they do a little uh, touch like that was really adorable. Like, yeah, it's Charlie Brown. It's like when the school building talked to Sally. Charlie Brown. Ern- Ernest, that's what you said, Tony. He's just so great and earnest in this. I I just lo- I can't get over how much I love this performance. There's this moment where, where uh, after he scores a goal or something, another hockey player kisses him, and he goes, oh, thank you, that's that's so nice. <laughs> and he's just so sincere, and I just suddenly imagined Jim Carrey playing this part and goofing Oh, around. ouch, dingus, wow. And, do that. and Sean William Scott is just so honest and real and and still can have a couple of goofy moments, you know, like the, uh, are you at the library, which is just a dopey line, but I loved it anyway. Well, and even the line, you know, did you draw that? You know, that's a punchline. Yeah. That's a joke. But he doesn't treat it like a joke. Like, he's not doing it for a laugh. It's just this earnest, hey, did you draw that picture? What's the wolf's name? I mean, that, that sort of thing just played sincerely works great. The other guy is sincere, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's oh, I love that guy. I love that guy playing that other guy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. What a great face and a great sort of, I guess he was like, the idea being he was a Canadian import or something. Like, his yeah. face, his voice, his accent. Uh, yeah, he's That's the brother of he's Kim Coates' brother. You know, the bro- they're they're the coaches are both. Oh brothers. right, right. So he's a Canadian. He is a Canadian important. That's why he sounded like that. Right, right. His name is Nicholas Campbell, by the way. I just loved him. I loved the, the way he sounded on the phone. I loved the way he was dealing with him in the montage and that office. I'm proud of you. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you too. So I am a sucker for this gag. Uh, they did it a few times in this movie. I have almost never seen this gag not work. But I love, next to having like children cuss, that for me is a surefire. That, that's always funny. The other thing that to me is always funny is having a dim character trying to deliver a witty retort. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's always good. That's that's a no fail gag, and it goes all the way back to and Dingus and I have riffed on this before. Uh, Tommy Boy, where David Spade and Chris Farley uh, are in the car, and Chris Farley spills a bunch of M and M's in David Spade's precious. It's like a Mustang or something in the vents, and Chris Farley and I, f- I forget the exact exchange, but uh, Chris Farley comes back with some retort about, "Well, you're." Head is a candy shell. Uh, yep. About Arch. the evidence. Yeah, that's why you. Ha- that's why you have me on the this podcast. Because to help to set me up for those, or to do the other half. Here, let's try one, Dingus. You ready for this? Uh, Dingus is David Spade's character. Well, no, we'll do this. Sure we'll, falling. Well, let's let's just see how this falls out, Dingus. I'm going to light your ass on fire. No, fuck. I think I fucked it up, Dingus. I'm going to light your ass up. My ass is. Lit too. 
you've already failed it. He has this great thing about... Wait, that's not bad. He has this great thing where one of the hockey players is taunting him and says, I'm going to light your ass up. And he says, well, I'll light your ass back up on fire. <laughs> I just love that kind of thing. That's, uh, that's foolproof for me. Um, uh, that's not a bad comeback. <laughs> uh, I also enjoy... Um, and I feel less guilty about enjoying uh, just really crass homophobic humor when the character who's a part of making the jokes then freaks out at someone else's homophobic slur because his own brother is gay. Like, I just love the little disconnect of that. You know, him and Jay Baruchel are sitting there making these sort of extreme gay references to each other and then when the other hockey player calls him a faggot he freaks out he says my brother is gay and that's what that's what spurs him on to beat his first hockey player uh, and they do this uh, bizarre thing where the director slows it down right <laughs> i remember on, there was a louis ck one where a guy insulted a guy's like your mom sucks dicks and the something something goes on and then the guy's like what do you wait what do you mean in what kind of way and then Louie would go, no, he's saying that she gets up early to suck the dick this way, and then at the end, the guy just goes, I don't know everything my mom does. <laughs> like, that's his defense of it. Yeah, there's certain insults that once you take them literally, they don't really work that well or make much sense. And they're, yes. Yeah, and they're comedians, so that's like where the comedian would, like, he's just responding to the content. Right. Uh, Kelly Watts, I noticed you did not give us a little noise at the mention of Allison Pill. Which one was she? She was the, the uh, lead chick in here. Um, I don't know. Okay. Because whenever a chick in these movies is with a guy who thinks he's a robot, it's like, how, like, how, why, what, are they having sex? Like, what's... Wait, is with a guy who thinks he's a robot? Is this a Terminator <laughs> reference? I, don't, I have no idea what you just mentioned. No, I remember he's doing the robot in the stands. Oh, the actual boyfriend. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> wow. That was a pretty obscure reference. But no, no, I do remember. Right. The the stand-in cardboard cutout boyfriend who, right. Or anyone. Yeah, whenever, like, a girl in a movie has a cardboard cutout boyfriend, and it's almost every romantic comedy, I go, nah, just find someone else to have sex with. Like, she, if she wants that, then we're probably not compatible. Like, and that's when I, <laughs> that's when I stop, I zone out on the zookeeper and go, yeah, I'm not, a, I can't relate to this character. Well, she wants effective. she wants that because she's sleeping. She he doesn't make her feel like she needs to stop sleeping with a bunch of guys, which is what she wants to do. And now she but finally she met knows. somebody who doesn't want to make her sleep with a bunch of guys anymore. Yeah, Kelly wants. But she has a boyfriend. She doesn't sleep with a bunch of guys. She just not, says that. Not anymore. Yeah, she breaks up with him. Story. She breaks up with him, and she. It's the sort of thing where they're they're so good together. Uh, that you're kind of rooting for them, and it's so easy. You know, you just put the little placeholder boyfriend there, and she ditches him and ends up with John William Scott at the end, and you're happy. It's very formulaic. Yeah, but uh, it's predictable. Like, he doesn't have any competition for her. It's predictable, but it's effective because I think they're so good. I mean, the scenes between the two of them were just so endearing. Uh, again, his earnestness, and she was, like, I... I 
my first exposure to Allison Pill was on the second, the third season of In Treatment, um, where I really got, I mean, she was really trying hard and she just wasn't that good in it. And I think it was the materials faults. I mean, some of the, some of the writing in the later seasons of In Treatment is just abysmal. Um, so that's where I, I, I feel like I've, I've seen her act a lot, but I never really liked her as much as I did here, just because it's such, it's so, it's so relaxed. They do have so much chemistry. Um, so I really I, liked her in Scott Pilgrim, though. She was my favorite thing about that movie. Which one is she? I don't even remember her in Scott Pilgrim, Dingus. Which she she's, the, every girl she's the drummer. Yeah, she's the drummer girl. girl. You explained that to me, and I still have no idea who that is. A drummer girl. The Ali Sheedy character. She's a drummer. She does the fake... Uh, I just really liked her. I thought she had a lot of character and a lot of spunk about her, and I, that's why I liked her in this. She, she, she was suitably embarrassed at the fact that she was falling for this guy and kind of confused at it, and she played all of that perfectly while just being such a cutie. Right. I, I, and, I loved her in this. And there's a reason that she was uh, Zelda Fitzgerald in Midnight in Paris. So there's that. Oh, I forgot that. Nice. Yeah. How <laughs> oh, goofy. It's yeah, how just... goofy of me. She's great it's in Amy that. Amy Adams. The Amy oh, Adams character great. fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see the movie. very happy. I really liked Midnight in Paris. It's, it's not a masterpiece, but I really liked it. And I forgot that she was that character, and she's got so much energy in yep. that little part. Yep. She's doing a voice and everything. Yeah, no, Allison Pill is, uh, I feel like she's bounced back from me having to sit through however many episodes of In Treatment I had to sit through with her. Yeah. And uh, Zelda Fitzgerald slept around a lot, and then he wrote a book, and then she's all right. So it's the same story. As- <laughs> so you're saying there's typecasting going on? Yeah, she's playing herself. Uh, I do want to. Uh, so, so Jay Baruchel is in another very Canadian movie that I want to uh, give a quick plug for, called Good Neighbors. Uh, and Good Neighbors has how would I put it? It has maybe one of the darkest scenes I've ever seen in a really dark thriller. Uh, it has got its own little Canadian flavor. Uh, it features a very Canadian cast, including Jay Baruchel, a fellow who I normally cannot stand, uh, but who I really liked in this, named Scott Speedman. And, Dingus, <laughs> I know you know Scott Speedman because he's from Gilmore Girls or some TV show that I know you really liked. Uh, Scott he's, Speedman. He's also he's the werewolf guy in all those awful Underworld movies. Oh, okay, I, I know. I hate that dude, too. I cannot stand him. But he, they use that to good effect in Good Neighbors. And the, I, would, I would think the main character in Good Neighbors is an actress I've never seen before named Emily Hampshire, who's really good. So if you want to see a really cool, dark thriller with a Canadian slant to it, uh, I think it's every bit as good, for instance, as Shallow Grave, which it, it bears some hmm. resemblance to, uh, Rent uh, Good Neighbors. So there's that. That's high praise, though. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm not super fond of Shallow Grave's a little rougher on the edges, but still has a lot of good stuff in it. So, I I don't mean it maybe to be as high praise as a super Shallow Grave fan might expect. It's it just be. better than Underworld. <laughs> it definitely has that going for it. Is that is that what it says on the box? <laughs> that would be uh, my appraisal. Yeah. So did this remind you guys of, I have an unlikely movie that when I watched this, it kind of reminded me of. First of all, has anyone here seen Slapshot, the other hockey Yeah, movie? of course. Is Slapshot good? Like, like for, here's yeah. the thing. I don't it's know. It's kind of dated good. It is dated. Oh. Well, see, I don't know anything about 
uh, hockey. Like I can't. I don't know sports movies from what. I, like this makes no sense to me. But I felt like I, I got enough information about what was going on this movie, not to appreciate hockey, but I could understand the references to like the whole penalty box thing. Uh, apparently, there's stuff about the number of men you have on the team is like flexible. Uh, like there was oh, some little people on the ice. Right, right, but there's some that normally, like when you play, I don't know, football. There's only ever what seven do or whatever. Baseball, you only have so many people on the team at once. So apparently in hockey, like there's some parody where if I put out a dude, the other guy gets to put out a dude. I don't, I don't know. What? What? Isn't that not true? That's there, not true. That's yes. what you got out of the movie. No, there's variable numbers of dudes on the ice oh, at any time. What? Yes, no, that's the whole point of somebody being in a penalty box <laughs> is that one of your team members is in the penalty box. While right. the other so you're down team, a guy, right? You don't get to. Take, all right. So when does it happen where both teams go? Hey, I want an extra guy that you just said. <laughs> That's <laughs> not what I said. I said there's variable numbers of, of dudes on the ice of men on your team at any given point. Yeah, all right. Well, no. Okay, you're right. Not on the team. Based I should entirely say, on penalties. I should say. Right. At any rate, the point being, you're just making my point, Kelly Wan, that I know nothing about hockey. Thank you. <laughs> But well, I less than even no one does. Less than dead people. But what I'm saying is that wasn't an obstacle for me in this movie. Because, you know, everybody will tell you, everybody except Dingus will tell you, hey, Moneyball's really good even if you don't like baseball. Uh, if I, I feel like I could appreciate and enjoy Goon without knowing anything about hockey, that's kept me from watching Slapshot, which you now are telling me is dated, so that's two strikes against Slapshot. It's about hockey, which I know nothing about, and it strikes as baseball. Not true. Stripes is the military. Nice try. Stripes. <laughs> I actually uh, actively hate hockey. Um, oh, I don't like on, watching stop. it. Uh, it's like soccer on ice. Uh, and and I the feel faster. like with, with fighting, instead of people falling down and grabbing their leg and crying. Uh, you guys um, are crazy. You can and I, and I've, always, I've always hated that. I had friends when I was growing up who liked hockey. I never got the fighting aspect of it. And as an adult... I've increasingly hated it, and this movie not only made me like I'm not I'm never going to watch hockey, but it made me like what it was showing, and it made me understand why fighting is a part of it and why people like fighting in it. I still don't like that. I don't like that that's part of the culture of it, but I understand it now, and I love that that, that this movie, as stylized as it is, made me feel those things. Dude. Hockey unfolds all the other sports in it. It's got boxing. It's got baseball because you got a stick in your hand. It's got football because there's formations. Kelly Wan, is this something? Awesome. Is this like have you had to be subjected to some sort of indoctr- indoctrination since moving to Canada? Is that why you? Are so I liked hockey Canada? before Canada, and I think I'm going to have to see some the paperwork on that, Kelly Wan. I'm not sure I buy that. Sudden Death has a lot of hockey in it, and it's really lame, shitty hockey that doesn't look like real hockey. But in Goon, I could kind of like, ah, oh, that's what it looked like a real a real game. So it was like good hockey footage. You guys are dumb. <laughs> but it, well, yeah, I I agree that I'm dumb. Um, <clears throat> but what I like is that I understood in a admittedly ridiculous way how fighting is part of the strategy now. Right, not it, just. Well, gladiatorial goof, goofiness. But there's other strategy, too, and it's a tricky game. Well, it even made me look up, like, what an enforcer was. Like, they're, they're apparently the enforcer is a guy who's supposed to start fights, but they even have, like, a lesser version of that called pests, where they're, they're, <laughs> they're roles that try to get the other guys to, I don't know what it's called, foul or, or whatever you call it. Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> what? I'm trying. Is that wrong? 
Am I close? I was, okay, Kelly. What are you talking about? No, I like it. Canadian accent when he said Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Christ, dude. I just did Australian. You're like the, I, it's like a stupid girlfriend trying to explain. <laughs> I loved that instigating moment where where uh, where uh, the boss Leif Schreiber got him to drop his gloves without taking his own. Off. Psych. Yeah. yeah. And there there was an actual term for that. I didn't know that there was a pest though. I thought that was just. I love that. That makes me want to. Yeah. Like like that's what Kelly Wand would be if he was a hockey player. That's what I am in RL. So the the other movie that it reminded me of, and you guys might think I'm crazy here. Uh, what if I were to tell you that this movie had a lot in common with The Wrestler? Ah. Could I sell that? Could I sell you on that? Or, or would you think that's crazy? Uh, well, I know Goon dies at the end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking more like it's sort of a comedic version of that same kind of uh, blue-collar sports guy sort of this like violence as part of entertainment and not very bright like well-meaning fellow uh i don't know is that is that what you need or is that a little crazy i'm pretty bright and i think violence is fucking awesome <laughs> well no i do too but as far as just being a, sort of a, a dim character eager to please you know he means well and he's involved in this entertainment <coughs> that that also includes violence uh so okay. i actually really like that because uh, there's a, there's an actor I'm thinking of uh, that would have played this if it were that movie, if it were like a straight uh, enforcer movie with all this fighting, but it's straight violence. And the the actor I'm thinking of would be Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy uh, and Sean William Scott have this sort of weird mirror thing going on. So Dingus, I, this is part of your campaign to just get more people to watch uh, Warrior, isn't it? Yeah, or or Minotaur. <laughs> in which Tom Hardy fights a Minotaur. Awesome, yes. Or, uh, of course, Bronson. I mean, Bronson, you know, Bronson and Goon, you could argue they have a lot in common. It's just the guy in Bronson is a bit smarter than uh, Sean William Scott. Kelly, one, I have a question for you. If you're such a hockey expert, so there's the character Le, Le Flame, who's the French guy who's kind of lost his mojo, his je ne sais quoi, and his Sean William Scott has to his flame exactly, uh, and Sean William Scott has to protect him. So throughout the movie, he's like chewing on. It looks like an old, like piece of a uh, like rawhide. It looks like something you'd give a dog. What yeah. the heck is that thing that he's got in his mouth in the whole movie? Oh, Teddy Roosevelt's cock. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Come one, two, three, eat a pun, let's breathe, getting down with three feet. That's dirty. I don't know what it's called in America, but that's what they call it up here. It's a delicacy. It's called a, called a big stick. Oh! <laughs> I think it's very nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, what would you guys think of doing Appreciate a 3x3 three three right about now? I like. What? I mean, two by two. What Tom said. Wait. Which one are you? Well, as opposed to next week's three by three, let's do this week's three by three. Yeah, fuck next week. What's it done for us lately? Well, we will find out next week. Uh, but this week, the three by three, uh, we, I want, and, and this one ended up being difficult, so I kind of apologize for foisting this on you guys. Uh, I want your three three examples of fair jump scares. When I introduced this last week, I talked a little bit about how there's two famous jump scares in Jaws, one being where Ben Gardner's head rolls out of a boat, the other being where the shark 
first appears to Brody. Um, I, I felt like one of them was kind of cheap and a cheat, like so many jump scares. Uh, and the other one was a really good example of a jump scare. Uh, so what I want from you guys are three examples of fair jump scares. Uh, so I, I kind of had a tough time with this. I only had one in mind other than Jaws when I came up with the list, and I thought it was pretty difficult coming up with two more. Uh, Kelly Wan, you will be going first because you're introducing next week's 3x3. Three three. Uh, how did you feel about this? Was this a tough one? Uh, it took me one or two tries to get it, so factor that into my choices. Wait, to get it took you one or two tries to get it, but what? Say again? So factor that into what my choices oh, are. Oh, I see. Right, right. Uh, all right. go, what? He didn't do the list right. But then by the end, you'll go, ah, I see. Method of the Madness. Genius. Well, let's see what you did come up with. What is your number three? All right, this is the one I don't think I did right. Okay. I just misunderstood the topic. Uh, but for my number three, I chose uh, in Cabin Boy when the bunny scares him. So I don't remember a jump scare in Cabin Boy, but it involves a bunny, you're saying. Yeah, and he gets scared and jumps and runs away from it. But the bunny's in the shot, so it's a fair one to the audience. So does the audience, does it startle the audience? I was startled, but not as startled as I would have been if it had been a larger animal. Okay, so a bunny scare in Cabin Boy. I, I don't know, I, I don't remember any, uh, is that a horror movie? No, but like a lot of good horror movies have comedy in them, like Hitchcock movies, and so Cabin Boy is like comedy that has drama. Is the bunny scare more frightening than the bunny scare in Life in uh, uh, Holy Grail? <laughs> you, I, I you almost said Life of Brian. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh-huh. You, I didn't finish the sentence, so I'm allowed to hit backspace and rewind over oh. what I was gonna say. If there's punctuation, then the haha is allowed. Exactly. Yes. Prior to. <laughs> Uh, all right. Do you need to like explain what was scary about the bunny scene, or do you feel that you've sort of said enough about it to justify it, its number three position on your list? Uh, it scared t hell out of me. <laughs> ah, it's like you're so scared that you would typo the word the. Like it was that frightening. You're saying. Also Easter, because bunny. Oh, good. Very timely, because See? this podcast was uh, recorded on... That's more important than doing the topic properly. Is a, is, a, is a topical reference. Very good. Yeah, from when we record, before anyone even hears it. It's very important. All right, is, so the bu- is the bunny scarier than the sock monkey? Uh, beats the shit, oh me. <laughs> is it scarier than the Letterman cameo? See. In Goon? Remember the letter, Letterman cameo in Beavis and Butthead? That was kind of good. See? He's undefeated at movies. That's true. Yeah, way way better track record than Jay Leno. We can say that much. Oh, uh, except for Collision Course. We have to redo that <laughs> next week. Uh, Dingus, can you top that? What is your number? And, and Dingus, how did you feel about this? I know that you're real sensitive when it comes to horror movies, because I've seen a few horror movies with you, and you scream like a girl during the scary parts. So was and this... during the romance kissing. <laughs> So, Dingus, was this a tough topic for you? How did you feel about having to sit through uh, startling moments to, to figure out which ones were fair and which ones weren't? I had a difficult time with this because every um, every jump scare is effective with me. You know, <laughs> I, I'm terrible at, at scary movies, and I don't have a lot of horror movie experience. I've started to like watching them of late. 
Um, but I, I had a really hard time because of your word fair. Um, right. So my last one is something of a cheat. Uh, my number three, or the one I'm going to do now, is something of a cheat. But luckily you gave me an out. Because when you were describing it, you said we could go with the least cheap I think. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But what, what I really liked about your example of Jaws was that you gave a, an unfair and a fair one, and I went ahead and tried to do that for each one of my examples. Oh, so you have, like, the fair version and the unfair version for each entry? Or? Yeah, within oh, each movie. I did that within with the. One. Yeah, within the movie, there, there, within each movie, there's a, like you did with Jaws, ah. there's, there's an unfair version and a fair version of. Oh, Dingus is going to scoot me with a dick. Of the jump. I don't think I, I don't think I will. Um, there's a slight possibility we might share one of them. I don't know. It's anyway, hard. but my it number three is, is, is kind of lousy because it, um, it violates something Tom was talking about, or at least he mentioned last week about uh, framing being used. Yeah, like I feel, yeah, I feel when something is scary only because of the way the shot is framed. When something lunges on the screen from a close frame near the actor, where the actor, where the actual character would have seen it, I feel like that's a cheat, and it's only scary because of the way the the shot is framed, and that that's a cheat or that's cheap. Um, now it can work, and maybe that's fair to some people, but for me, I see that, and I I call foul, and I send the movie to the penalty box for three minutes. I think that's in, entirely reasonable, but this is the least cheap of those for me. All right. Are you going to give us a line, maybe, or are you just going to try to scare us right off the bat? No, I'll, get, I'll give you a line from it. Okay. Uh, here's, the, here's the line. You know, you don't have to love me. That's not a rule or something. Okay, but we're waiting for the line from the movie. <laughs> okay. The, the line is, uh, please get on your knees in front of me. Oh, wait. I, rever- I reversed those. I'm so proud of myself for... Uh, I don't recall a lot of jump scares in Secretary. That depends on what kind of jumping we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've seen this movie, Dingus. Uh, you have seen it. This is uh, I referred to this at the la- at the end of the podcast after you introduced the topic as as a movie I've been meaning to see for many years, um, but that immediately jumped to mind when you talked about this. Uh, because it has a couple of jump scares in it that I forgave when I saw it at Sundance a few years ago, and it's a movie called Joshua. There's jump scares in Joshua? There's a couple. Um, Josh scares. Uh, so Joshua is a 2007 movie directed by George Ratliff, and the uh, the fair mo- the fair one, I mean, Joshua's kind of about um, an older sibling who reacts poorly when a baby comes into the house, and about a mom. Actually... You know, when I when I watched Joshua this time, what I really got out of it was how much better this movie got what um, we need to talk about Kevin didn't get. Mm. And um, I really like the way this movie handles itself, and it's not as offensive to me as... as I, I, it, the Kevin movie did not work for me. I know a lot of people think it's the best movie ever, but it didn't work for me. Anyway, this is, this is more of a straight-up... Uh, Noirish, not noirish. It's the wrong word. Scary, thrillery kind of thing. Thriller horror movie based on on um, this French. It's not based on, but it's inspired by this French movie, uh, The Trouble with Harry. I think something like uh, that. Um, Joshua is based on The Trouble with Harry. It's not based on that. It's just the, oh. that when I saw it at Sundance and after the Q and A, the director and writer were talking about how watching that movie inspired them to make this movie. Ah, okay. Uh, and inspired them to do the same kind of scares in that. 
So the so the unfair scare in this is that that scare that you can see coming, which is the refrigerator door scare. Oh God, <laughs> refrigerator door scares. That could be a topic in and of itself, Dingus. Nice. Exactly. So 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 there's that one in this movie that you can see coming a mile away. Um, but the characters can't see coming. Explain the refrigerator door scare, by the way, in case somebody's not acquainted with it. So, you know, the, usually the person gets up in the middle of the night in a, in a creepy situation and goes to get something out of the refrigerator and opens the door, gets whatever she's going to get out of it, and then closes the, and when she closes the door, oh, there's the Oh, God! Character. Oh, God, he's right Jesus, there. you scared me. <laughs> like a medicine yeah. cabinet scare. Yeah, it's that, it's that, oh, the And door. cooled my temperature. So that's one of the unfair, the the fair scares. Wait, real quick, hold on to the thing is while we're on refrigerator scares, I want to say one of my favorite refrigerator scares is uh, in Gore Verbinski's remake of The Ring. There's a whole opening sequence with, uh, not Amber Heard, the chick from... Uh, Amblin. Yeah, 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 Amber Tamplin, uh, and another girl, and they're going about, I don't know, they're babysitting, or it's like this whole riff on the opening of horror movies where the babysitters get stalked and killed, and there's this great refrigerator scare because nothing is there. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. the shot is totally set up to make you think, hey, now I'm going to do a refrigerator scare, and then she closes the refrigerator door, and there's nothing there, and it's, it's Gore Verbinski being really playful and, and kind of doing these subversive like subversively undercutting the traditional horror movie tropes. Uh, so I, I'm a little disappointed to hear, Dingus, that there's a refrigerator scare in Joshua. Uh, there is. Um, the, the fair scare is, right. is earlier on. I mean, you understand that the kid, uh, who's, a, who's this actor named uh, Jacob Kogan, he plays Joshua, and he's the young Spock in Star Trek, by the way. Um, and he plays the son of Brad, who is played by Sam Rockwell. And their their mother, the mother in the family who's losing it, has this postpartum thing going on. Is Vera Farmiga, but uh, at one point, early-ish on in the movie, we get the sense that there's something going on with Joshua, but we don't know yet. Um, and they they have a new baby in the house. They're having a really hard time with the baby. They put the baby down to finally go to sleep, and Sam Rockwell goes back down the hall and looks into Joshua's room, and it's that scene of. There's nobody in bed there. The, the, it's an empty bed. But the shot, and this is the framing part, the shot is then from the room on Sam Rockwell and Sam Rockwell blocking the doorway. And Sam Rockwell, as he's turning, you hear, Daddy? And it's the way Joshua, or the way the, this actor, Jacob Cogan, says, Daddy? Just as he's perfectly revealed by... Um, Sam Rockwell turning and pivoting. That it's just this. Whoa! Why? Why is this kid so <laughs> creepy? And why is he right there? It's that that we don't expect a character to be in that moment, and it's kind of a framing trick. But it's the least cheap of them, and it's mirrored again, unfortunately, later in the movie with a mommy with with the mommy doing the same exact move. So they do the, a refrigerator scare and the same move later on. But this one early on, I think, is a fair one. Good. Good. I like that. Kelly, one, have you seen Joshua? No, I don't see movies named after dudes. Yeah, I thought you were <laughs> going to say... Unless it's the whole name. <laughs> All right. My is, rule. Is it Goon? That's named after a dude, right? That's his last name. Ah, Stifler's the last name of Stifler's mom. <laughs> even she says, I'm Stifler's mom, even though it's her last name, so she's actually saying her mom. Dingus, what did George Ratliff go on to do since Joshua? There's something that I either like or hate that he's done since then. Is he the bottle rocket guy? That's not right. What? Bottle what? rocket. Wes Anderson. 
Oh, not bottle rocket. Uh, uh, the rocket science. I knew that rocket was in the title. Oh, God, mentioning rocket surgery. No, there's uh, the guy that did Spellbound, the Spelling Bee uh, documentary, also did oh. rocket science. And for some reason, I thought that was the guy that did Joshua. I could be wrong about that. No, I have, I have no idea. Okay, I'm not googling it, by the way. They should make a crossover between Joshua and Grace, the uh, Jordan Lyman. And what would that be called? Uh, Drace. <laughs> so the guy who did Joshua, George Ratliff, unfortunately did a, a terrible movie called Salvation Boulevard with uh, Greg Kinnear as a guy who gets caught up in this um, sort of plot involving a, a, an evangelist church um, mm. with Pierce Brosnan as the uh, as the preacher. It sort of reunites How them. How was that from- pitched, exactly? Uh, it's, hey, we're going to reunite the cast of that Matador movie. What was that thing called? Were there hitmen? The Matador? Yeah, the yeah. Matador. Thank you. Uh, but the uh, Joshua Connection, so this is very this is very tenuous. It, it's a little uh, cursory. But the Joshua Connection to Orphan is that Joshua, this, the, the director of Joshua directed Salvation Boulevard, which also starred Isabella Furman, who was the lead in Orphan. Mm-hmm. There you go. See what I did? See? She's the Kevin Bacon uh, <laughs> of, of evil children movies, yes. Yeah. And is that your number three, Tom? There are worse things to be. It is not. Here's my number three. My number three is the, the one that actually inspired this topic. So I don't think you guys have seen this movie or even heard of it. Uh, I'm going to spoil a little bit of it necessarily. It's okay. I don't think you're going to see it. But I remember watching this movie, and this jump scare totally caught. I'm like Dingus. I hate jump scares because they always, always, always work on me, and I always hate them. So I'm watching this movie, and this jump scare happens, and it totally got me. And my response wasn't – my response is normally, hey, F you movie. That's cheap. My response after this was – after I settled down a moment, I was like, you know what? That was fair. That was a fair jump scare. You got me. Fair play to you. That, that was what I said to the movie. Uh, the movie <laughs> is called... Uh, that sounds awesome. Well, so... Conversation. Kelly one, it's me talking to the movie. Kelly one, do you know a movie called The Passion of... No. The something <laughs> Darkly Noon. The Passion of Darkly Noon. Is that right? That sounds ridiculous. No. I'm... <laughs> the song, but no. <laughs> So there's a there's a director named Philip Ridley. I think he's only done like three or four movies. The first one is Passion of Noon Darkly, Darkly Noon. It's something with Brendan Fraser, some weird, trippy, picaresque, kind of horror-y movie, psycho-thriller. Um, but what I mainly know him for is an absolutely brilliant but almost impossible-to-find horror movie called The Reflecting Skin. Um, if you can find The Reflecting Skin, and you probably can't, you should see it. But... What happened is this fellow, Philip Ridley, he stopped doing movies for a while. It's been a while since he did one. Uh, he recently, I think two years ago, made a movie called Heartless. And Heartless is a horror movie. It stars a fellow named Jim Sturgis. Um, and Heartless has a lot in common with movies like, uh, you could say it's very similar to Angel Heart or uh, Jacob's Ladder. It's that kind of thing. Like a, a character is unraveling a mystery and he's slowly losing his sanity as it happens. Uh, Jim Sturgis plays a guy with a, a huge birthmark on his face and he's very self-conscious about it. Uh, he falls in love with the girl and he's convinced that the girl won't like him because he has the birthmark. Uh, so he almost literally makes a deal with the devil to remove the birthmark. Uh, the uh, That's exactly, you have to see it. That's uh, medical... It's just—it's a supernatural thing. Like, all right, uh, all right. Yeah. I just 
Seems like such a bizarre medical choice, but okay, yeah, go on. Well, you know, so he, he loses the birthmark, and the, he falls in love with the girl, and things are great, but it comes time for his deal with the devil to come due, and that's what, what the movie is about. Uh, throughout the movie, he's seeing these demons around in the world, and there's really qu- weird, creepy things going on. Uh, and by the way, this movie has a great scene. If you're a fan of Eddie Marsden, who's this great English actor, there's one wonderful Eddie Marsden scene in it. Uh, there's a lot of there's a few good reasons to watch Heartless, and one of them is the Eddie Marsden scene. But so what happens is he loses the birthmark, he falls in love with the girl. So far, so good. Uh, he wakes up one morning and he goes into the bathroom and he sees in the mirror the birthmark is back. And he's like, oh, God, now she's not going to want to have anything to do with me. Uh, this, and, you know, he's, he's distraught. Uh, he, he starts, like, weeping. He can't believe this has happened. And the girl outside the bathroom door is, like, knocking on the door saying, hey, what's the matter? Let me in. And he's like, okay, I'll let you in. But you have to understand something terrible has happened. You know, I don't know. Just just please understand. Bear with me. And you realize he's about to have a reckoning with her. And he's going to confess to her everything that's happened. And, and she's going to have to love him for who he is. And it's this pivotal moment in the movie. And he opens the bathroom door and the demon is there. <laughs> and it's this great... Uh, and then it turns out it's a dream. And normally I hate dream things. Like I, I, think, I think a dream jump scare is a huge cheat. But in this case, because the movie is all about playing... is all about his perception of what's going on, I felt like it was fair. And because of the way it totally makes you, it totally thinks you're being set up for this heart-to-heart conversation he's going to have with the girl when he opens the door, and instead there's a demon there. I felt like it was, uh, it, it suitably lowered my defenses, made me vulnerable to a jump scare, and gave me one that I felt was there for a reason. Uh, so I liked it up until, up until it turns out it's a dream. Like that's a cool reveal. Like, oh, it's the demon. Like that's good. And then. It's bullshit. So the thing is, the the devil, who I think his name is Papa B, like he has this really weird, endearing name in the movie, uh, is is sort of toying with him to make him do what he wants to to do and dream uh, what he wants him to dream. And and there's also before he goes into the bathroom, there's a really cool detail, like he sees a tattoo of a maze on the girl's lower back. And he's like, oh, I never saw that before. And he goes into the bathroom, and then when he wakes up later, there's no tattoo of a maze on her lower back. See? You see, Kelly Wand? You see? Wait, why? <laughs> wait, wait. Tell me more. What Dream happened? jump scare. That's a bold move, Tom. Maze tattoo <laughs> But I feel it's an appropriate one. It's a fair one. And it's not like a dream jump scare. Like, uh, you, you know, American Werewolf in London has all these cheap, like, he just he wakes up into out of his dream, and it's still a dream. Like, I feel that's the, that's the ultimate cheap dream jump scare where you're playing on the fact that the guy woke up from the dream, and it's still a dream, so I got you again, sucker. Uh, uh, that's the really unfair way to do it. Besides, you guys haven't even seen Heartless, much less heard of it. Another cool thing about Heartless is the title is actually a, a pretty wicked uh, wordplay. It's a nice little pun, and I'll, I'll just leave you with that. Should we watch it? Are you? Are you? If I could uh, watch only one of these movies, Reflecting Skin... The passion oh, of no, no. Darby Narvalov. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely find Reflecting Skin if you can. I don't why doesn't he just can. ask the devil, like, why isn't his bargain like, hey, I just want to live in a world where birthmarks make girls really horny, and then you can get all the girls. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you would make an awesome lead in the remake of Heart. I just think people, when they make deals with the devil, it's always a terrible... They don't really bargain very well. I think that's a good job for you as, like, a go-between I should be agent. a lawyer, right. I think I know how the devil thinks. Yeah. Like the devil's advocate. Or not the devil's advocate, but the guy going between... 
Yeah, Kelly Wanda, I'm gonna you're, you're gonna be my uh, my agent of record for any time I make a deal with the devil. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it would probably I'd start out with good intentions, but then I'd go wait I'm getting a cut of every deal, and then I'd probably like be worse. Than- so actually, Heartless has a, this pretty cool idea of like how the devil negotiates and deals. Like it it plays with that in some pretty cool ways. So well, he's he's preying on the weak and the dumb is what I get from Birthmark guy, right? Um, maybe getting the birthmark, God or the devil or no one. Mm. Is it? I think you'll have to see the movie to find out. Dingus, you Heartless. shouldn't see this. You should see Reflecting Skin. Kelly Wand, you should see Reflecting Skin and Heartless. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so, I just have to see two movies. Yeah, you're you have Dingus double the workload, up. Kelly Wand. I'm sorry. Dingus is interested in. <laughs> okay, coach. <laughs> All right, so Kelly Wand, what is your number two? Uh, this is my only good one. Fair jump scare. But it's not your number one, so it's not as good as your number one, you're saying. Well, so I just kind of pick them in the order I think of them in, and then I go, see, the fact that I thought of them in that order means that my mind thinks they're in that order. Ah. Uh, which is not what I do with anything else I write. <laughs> but for some reason, with 3 by 3s I have a rule I follow arbitrarily that, that totally fucks up the list. But anyway, my number two, there's a lot of, like, cheap-ass jump scares and alien and there's a lot of them are good ones, like the face hugger has that drops behind Ripley, and it's actually dead, so you're not sure why it's dropping. Then explain. I kind of like that one. And it's I a like breeze. Ho- there's a there's a breeze on the Nostromo. From where? Actually, you know what, Kelly? One, there is a breeze on the Nostromo because in the opening shot of the camera moving around the the ship before anyone's uh, been awakened, they're definitely like papers rustling and stuff. So. That's- so, yeah, so Ridley Scott definitely sets up that the Nostromo is breeze-ridden. Uh, I still think that thing weighs more. But anyway, um, <laughs> also in Tom Scarra, he, like, knocks some shit over. And he's all sorry. He says it really insincerely. I like that part, too. But the best jump scare ever, because it's in the shot, is when Ripley's in the escape pod, and the alien's in there with her, and you can fucking see the alien. Like, it's in the shot, and everyone in the audience sees it. And we see it. Everybody sees it but her. So it's kind of like... Are you talking about a jump scare or where it just kind of unfurls itself from the pipes? No, it sticks its its hand out. Ah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then the music's all, dude, alien, check it out. But it's like Ridley's showing the thing to you for five minutes. There's one of the great things about that movie is that the production design is such that so much of the ship could be an alien. Right. But you'd think Ripley would be a little tensed out, like everything looks like a fucking alien. I laid on the underwear just to make sure, you know, maybe do a little stock, run the computer, see if there's any extra weight on board first. No, but it's like right there, like the cat's not even giving a shit. Uh, There's one of those, at least one of those kind of shots in Aliens when the Marines get ambushed, where like one of the red shirt Marines is just standing in front of a bunch of pipes. And it turns out that one of the pipes is an alien that reaches out and grabs him or her. So, yeah, see, they're good at that stuff. They're good at camouflage. You would think that they're highly evolved. But the one that, I wanted was, isn't there one in one of those two movies where she's standing there and the alien comes down behind her? That's the one I was looking for. But I Like where it slowly uncurls behind her. Yeah, I know. What right, you're right, about right, her. right. Yeah, that's not a jump scare, though. Kelly Wand, I think, is just thinking of a... So what, what Kelly Wand, a hand protrudes? Yeah, like a, and then the music's all dun, dun, dun. Well, it's just done, but... <laughs> all right. But Thanks. it's like, oh, Thanks, you didn't see that. Right. But it's like, uh, I think audiences, when they first saw the movie, were like, 
hey, dumbass, there's a fucking alien right behind you in the shot. So it's like, how much fare do you want? You know, it like, makes Ripley me wonder... Like, yeah. how many, like, Alien at the time, you know, what was that, 1979, mm-hmm. uh, like, isn't it the case that before Alien, you couldn't really kill the captain of the ship? Like, that the, the, the captain would be the hero, he would be the guy that would live. Wasn't that kind of subversive in Alien? Well, Quint died, so there you go. Yeah, but he was an Ahab character. Like, I think there's a very oh. clear precedent for what happened to Quint. I, I don't know that there's anything... Well, like Alien that. broke a lot of precedents. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. And uh, now we're going to watch Prometheus pretend it's good. <laughs> uh, uh, well, maybe it won't. Maybe it will be. You know, the writer. The the prequels darkest... never. What, name one good prequel ever. Thank you. Uh, Clone Wars, or I mean, Phantom Menace. All right, that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Dingus, get us away from Star Wars talk quick. Uh-huh. You know how much I love uh-huh. talking about the prequels. What is your number two pick for a fair jump scare? All right, my number two pick has a quote that I'm going to do for me. Awesome. I'm pretty sure what we did was illegal in Kentucky and 20 other states. She's Dingus. a freak. Dingus, you're such a jerk. I agree. But you know what? So maybe you're... Because I think there's a fair one and an unfair one. Well, I agree. All, I agree with fair, you. But, I, you know, no, I think they might all be fair, but there's one of them I think is particularly fair. But go ahead. So what's your fair one and what's your unfair one from Paranormal Activity 1? All right. My fair one is the first one that... I, and I still remember jumping. You're such a jerk. It. Such a jerk. Well, it, it takes place on night number three, September 20th, 2006. <laughs> About 2.09 a.m. Oh, that does sound scary. And it's when the door moves. That's it. Oh, no, that's not a jump scare. Dingus, okay, well, you didn't scoop me because I'm I'm way better at explaining paranormal activity than you. That's, uh-huh. you, the you would consider the, you would cons- not paranormal activity three. Dingus, you would consider the door moving a jump scare? You are oh, so, yeah. you are yeah. so frail. Dingus' sensitivities are so frail. I agree. I agree with you. But when and, and I watched it again. Uh, when you watch that 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 when they go to bed on night number three and the, right. and it fast forwards up to uh, I don't know two oh eight and whatever right. and then it just starts playing and then the door moves. I remember just bah! and yeah, that it, a jump scare. as simple and stupid as that made me jump. So that's a jump scare for me. And no, that's that's. Moves- that's an example of Dingus being way too not conditioned for horror movies. I can't believe you think the door moving is a jump scare. Yep. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Then you might be picking the one that I think is fair as the unfair one. What's the unfair jump scare from Paranormal Activity? I think the demon dragging Katie out of bed is... Oh, oh. okay. That's not a jump scare either, by the way. Dingus. <laughs> Kelly Wine, would you explain to Dingus what a jump scare is? Please do. It's where... Uh... So you go, ah, like when Wendy sees a shark. <laughs> well, you've just vindicated Dingus because Dingus no, no, goes, wait, she ah, goes, shark, ah. She says that. Yeah. Sorry. Right, so, would I vindicate? That's not a jump scare? Well, if, if, it's a, if it's a jump scare because it makes Dingus go, ah, then that that's opens the door wide open. Anything is a jump scare there. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And that's how I did this category. So, ha so, well, here's the one that got me from Paranormal Activity, because I think there's a lot a lot of what makes Paranormal Activity work is that it doesn't rely on fast things that startle you. The door moment is great. Uh, pulling Katie, uh, Katie Featherstone getting pulled out of bed is great. Uh, the sheets moving are great. And neither of those is something abrupt that lurches out suddenly at you and makes you makes me jump. I mean, the fact that you jump, that's fine. I mean, I, I love Paranormal Activity. We both do, Dingus. So... Uh, but I still think there are a few more conventional jump scares. And the two that come to mind for me 
And I actually like both of them quite a bit, but I'm going to single one of them out. But the one that really gets me every time is, I don't know what night it is, but it's it's somewhere around the middle of the movie. Uh, they're, they're all sleeping, or they're all sleeping, they're both sleeping. Uh, actually, all sleeping. Maybe the demon's asleep. We don't know. Uh, everyone's asleep. Uh, and it's just, the, you know, the camera, I, I think the film does the fast-forward thing, and then it slows down and creates this dread of, oh, God, why is it faster? You know, why are we at this time? What are we about to see? It's very quiet. And then Katie Featherstone just suddenly wakes with a start. And she just has this gasp, and it's just her waking up with a start from a dream, and it's a huge jump scare to me. I mean, that one always gets me. Um, but the other jump scare, which is very sudden, uh, and what I love about it is there's no kind of cheat. Like, when we see them sleeping and Katie Featherstone wakes with that loud gasp, you know, we, we've got quiet, there's nothing happening, and it, it sort of intrudes on the nothingness. Uh, and it's kind of cheap when it does that. That's, in a way, how a jump scare has to work. Is you sh- There's nothingness, and then you do something loud or sudden. So the one that I really like, though, is when they think they hear, is it maybe the keys dropping? or it's, it's again around the middle of the movie. They think they hear something downstairs. They're both awake and listening for it. You know, I think Katie Featherstone says something like, do you, do you hear that? What's that noise? And they both sit there frozen listening, and it's when you first hear the demon like make this sort of shriek howl noise that it makes, and you hear that from downstairs. But what makes that effective is everybody, including the characters, including the audience, is waiting to hear something. We are all on edge. We've, we've been basically warned that there's something making a noise, and we are poised to listen for it. And sure enough, there's that iconic, it's almost like a, like a wildebeest scream or whatever the noise is that the demon makes. <laughs> it's where you first hear that. Uh, so that's the one that really works for me because we've been warned that we're going to hear it. We've been warned that there's a noise, and we're sitting there listening with the characters for what the noise is going to be. We're expecting it. I mean, we're thinking, yeah, is there going to be a noise? What are we going to hear? And sure enough, there it is. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of like I, uh, like I feel like if you are scared by that, if you're startled by it, you only have yourself to blame. <laughs> now, are you saying that it's... Because you said it might be the demon asleep. Like, are you saying the demon's asleep downstairs and having a nightmare about being possessed by Katie Featherstone? Well, the first one that I think is cheap, that's really effective, the real uh, one of the the, the uh, a more common, like a, something that would startle people besides dingus, is when Katie Featherstone suddenly wakes up. We don't know why, and it's not something that the demon does. The startle isn't from a demon-related activity like a door moving or the scream downstairs or whatever. It's Katie Featherstone just waking up from a bad dream or, or something going on. Yeah, but why is the demon shrieking? Because it had a bad dream? Well, that's a separate one. Uh, no, it's the demon, I don't, because it just wants to say, hey, what's up? What's up, dudes? That's how it says hello. <laughs> yeah. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up, bro? Nice condo. San Diego, bro. <laughs> so Dingus, Dingus stole my uh, number one. Sorry about that. Did? I didn't, though. You, Actually, you, did. you right. reclaimed it. You stole the movie, but you didn't steal the moment. There's a lot of not knowing what words mean on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Kelly, are you looking forward to Paranormal Activity 4 in October, directed by the Catfish Guys again? Oh. <laughs> yes. Really? Yep. Really? Well, of course. They get to do now. They get to do two of them. Yeah, well, you know what? If I was if I was Paramount, if I was like a shareholder or whatever, it's exactly what they should do. I mean, the return on investment they got for this silly movie. Paranormal amount. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I hate that they're rich from being dumb. Fuck. <laughs> so annoying. 
I volunteer not to see Paranormal Activity 4, just in case anybody... I didn't see it. 3 yet, and um, last night just, we did a podcast on it. Wait, did, yeah, did you dodge that bullet? Yeah. I screwed you guys, kind of, sorry. I didn't mean to. You saw 3? No, I didn't go. Nope, we described it to him. Yeah, I don't think we did. He made it not. He made me not want to see it though. Like he yeah, made it so bad. I think we talked about it during another podcast. I don't know that we actually saw it, or maybe we did. But yeah, you did. You didn't miss anything. All right. The so good thing about Paranormal Activity Three is that when you watch one again, it doesn't make any difference. You can just totally banish it from your mind, and it really? doesn't. Sometimes when somebody makes a stupid movie later, it somehow does this weird right. retconning thing for me and it ruins. But Paranormal Activity is such a good movie that all that other crap just melts. You don't go, oh, it's because there's witches shrieking downstairs. Nope. I couldn't care less about any of that. Anything she says about her childhood or whatever, I don't care about anything that they ever uh, Something else I noticed watching Paranormal Activity 1, Dingus, is the girl who plays her friend, who she's making bracelets with or whatever they're crafting with, why didn't they bring that girl back for 2 and 3? And I just love the uh, the psychic guy. I know we loved him at the beginning when we first saw it, but that guy is so great. Because I, I, can't, I can't stay here. I'm just making it worse. I've got to leave. The demonologist is a sidekick? No, the psychic. The demonologist oh, the psychic. is out of town. Yeah, he, Sorry. Can't, he can't be arsed to show up for the movie, even. <laughs> I just like how he's dealing with my, Micah, where he's like, yeah, I, I hope you're right about that. And then he goes back and talks to her. I love that guy. He's so great. Well, and it's so, that's another thing. It's like paranormal activity, they're so good doing what they're doing there. And even, I still have goodwill for, for, for some goodwill for paranormal activity too. But, uh, just that whole Micah Sloat, Katie Featherstone interaction. I mean, they're just so natural and they just let the movie breathe so much. And it's got this, I mean, there's just so many uh, good things about paranormal activity one. Oh, and she's What's so the fourth cute. One she's so cute. Damn. She is. She is. is it the future? So we don't know. I don't think they've announced. I'm sure it's something that the best thing that I can say that maybe they'll do with four, the the trailers that they put out for three did not at all tell you what was going on in the movie. Now, unfortunately, what happens in the movie sucks, but they, they did some great misdirection with the trailers. So maybe yep. they'll do some it of that. Sucks in a four. totally different way from the trailer. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, this one's going to be called Ghost Protocol. I think that title's taken. Is there a scene at the end of Paranormal Activity 4 where they see uh, Katie Featherstone in Seattle and pretend they're still married? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. That was a fair but good, Kelly Watt. Take that, Hollywood. Uh, I know. I don't think you guys stuck with uh, The River, which Oren Pelly. Oh, so, by the way, a quick little Oren Pelly news. Uh, I mentioned seeing a trailer for Chernobyl, which is a horror movie about a bunch of teenagers. They go to Chernobyl and scary stuff happens. Oren Pelly's producing it. And I, I posited on this podcast that maybe that was the Area 51 project that Oren Pelly was working on, which was a found footage movie about kids who go to Area 51. Maybe it had somehow morphed into a Chernobyl project. Not the case. This Chernobyl movie is something completely separate. Oren Pelly is still apparently doing a found footage movie about Area 51 to come out sometime this year. So that's good news. There's a part <laughs> where the security door moves a little and Dingus jumps. <laughs> I uh, jumped when you said that just now. Yeah, don't scare Dingus off. So you guys also didn't stick with the river long enough to see the Katie Featherstone appearance. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Really? I like hearing about the river. I just don't want to watch it. Well, so. you... Yeah, you're, you won't have... Wait, wait, what'd she do on it? Was she a demon? So she... No, she appears in the last two episodes 
as one. Uh, so, so the river is this stupid thing about Bruce Greenwood. It's like Marlon Perkins, and he goes missing. So his family goes to find him in the Amazon, and there's all this supernatural stuff, and they eventually rescue him and his film crew. And among his film crew, Katie Featherstone is one of the camera persons who worked with him. Uh, who kind of had a crush on him, and he he turns down her advances to show that he's devoted to his wife, and it's just awful, awful. Like the, the characters in this are so stupid and yeah. just, just trite and one-dimensional. Um, but even a Katie Featherstone appearance with, I should say, I, well, topless. I wasn't going to say that, but Kelly Wan, now that you bring it up, now mentioned there was a fair bit of cleavage. Uh, it's sort of, and even Katie Featherstone and her cleavage just made, there's nothing interesting about what they did with the river, even with the adorable Katie Featherstone and her cleavage. She's got a nice paranormal activities. Whoa, Kelly Wand. Sorry. That was closely inappropriate. That was terrible. One, two, three. (laughs) Fortunately, we're already in three by three. So since Dingus has spoiled my number one, let me tell you guys about my number two fair jump scare. So... One of the things that I think a, a fair jump scare should do, and Kelly Wand, your alien uh, example is a, is a perfect example of this, is have what's going to scare you in the frame already so that mm-hmm. it's not doing shenanigans about, oh, look, it was just right off to the frame, or like Dingus is talking about, oh, it's standing right behind Sam Rockwell, and when he turns, you see it, or a refrigerator door, like something in plain view. It's something in plain view that's there in the whole shot can freak you out. Job well done. So the other thing about, and that's the case with this one I'm about to tell you about, and the other thing with this one I'm about to tell you about is it's where the movie kind of jumps the rails from what you think you've been watching and becomes something else entirely. So there's a uh, Takashi Miike movie called Audition, and one of my favorite pranks to play on anyone is tell them that you're going to show them a romantic comedy and then put on Audition. Uh, this can be hard to do because it's a fairly well-known movie, but Audition starts as a movie about a, a lonely widow. I think he's a widower, uh, maybe a divorcee, a lonely single father who wants to meet a woman. And so his friend concocts this scheme, hey, let's hold, let's hold auditions for a fake movie, and through that you can meet these women, and if you like one of them, you can start a relationship. And so sure enough, the fellow meets a, a woman that he likes, um, and he calls her on the phone, and as all this is happening, as the movie's ramping up and we see the audition, it's, it's very light, and it's got a light touch, and they're likable characters, and it seems like it's going to be a romantic comedy. But when he finally calls the woman that he likes, we cut to a shot of her in an apartment with the phone ringing, and it's one of those classic scenes of a scary Japanese woman with really long hair obscuring her face, and there's a tight shot on her, and you see the phone in the background, and you can see her mouth a little bit. And as the phone is ringing, she gives this really weird, creepy smile. And then she picks up the phone, and you can't tell from her voice, but she's like, oh, thank you, I'm so glad you called, I'm glad you're considering me, I didn't think you'd consider me for the part, uh, and he's going to invite her out. But while she is talking on the phone, you see her, you see the phone, and in the background there's a big old bag, like a sack full of mail or something. And... I think I forget if it's before she picks up the phone or after she hangs it up, but at one point, the sack of mail makes this gurgly grunt noise and rolls around. And it's a jump scare because you didn't expect it to move. It just looked like a sack of laundry or something back there. And it's where you first realize, whoa, something is really not right here. And, of course, if you've seen Audition, you eventually find out what is in the sack and why it makes that noise. Um, but I love that jump scare, and I love how it signals a, a huge change of direction for audition. 
So you got scared from the sight of a bag making a noise. Have you seen Audition, Kelly Wan? No. I don't see movies based on things that happened before the movie to make the movie. (laughs) Uh, Why have you not seen Audition? It's pretty famous. All right, I'll see it. I think it was ruined for me by somebody. But then I forget who, so I should see it. I think even if Audition is ruined for you, and uh, like I think everybody knows that there's a lot of... It's a Mickey movie, so everybody knows there's a lot of grim, kind of gory stuff in it. Uh, even if it's ruined for you, I think it holds up. Just because of the way it's shot, because of the actors, the woman in it is great, uh, because of how it unfolds. And there's a lot of... I don't know about ambiguous stuff, but there's a lot of things like, is this real? Is this imaginary? Like, it's a provocative movie, even if you know the actual events and stuff that, that go on in it. So It's hugely affecting, and it's unforgettable. Yeah. All right, I'll see it. I'm going to feel bad. All right. Thanks, uh, Dick. Kelly Wand, I have this to say to you. <laughs> All right. Kelly Wand, what is your number one choice for a fair jump scare? I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> oh, you'll, was... you'll know. <laughs> you will be. You will. That's what I was, yeah, I was trying to do a Yoda thing. It didn't quite work the way I did it. But, uh... What? That's <laughs> disgusting. That's Yoda tickling my sack? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Tell me what, I think you've when ruined... When does Yoda make that noise? You have now ruined the scene that I was referencing for me for all time now, because I'm going to think of you talking, saying what you just said. Well, Yoda tickles your balls? Let's not even go there. <laughs> I don't understand why you went to... All right, my number one jump scare, besides what Tom just said to me, is uh, in the ring when the chick jumped. Oh, God. Oh, that's... But see, that's such a cheat. Kelly Wand, you suck. No, because she's in the shot. She's using video Oh, wait, technology. I'm thinking of something different then. Okay, I'm sorry. So what is your... Because I thought you were talking about where it cuts to the, the corpse in the closet. Uh, no. So, okay, because that's to me the that's epitome of a cheap jump scare. I hate that yeah. shit in the ring. Okay, so what is it you're talking about? I'm sorry I jumped on you. There's also a variation on the refrigerator door scare and drag me to hell. Like, oh, I'm sitting up from a bed. Oh, okay, now I'm gonna lay back on the bed. But I'm not laying next to who I thought I was. Right. Yeah. That's very cheap. So what, what's the good one in in the ring though that you were mentioning? Oh, uh, at the end. For some reason, this really, this to me was the scariest thing in the movie, and I can't explain why. But uh, when she's killing, what's his face, Scott Speedman? Oh, is that Scott Speedman? Is it? I think it is. God, you're probably right. No, I don't think it is. Oh, God, is he in the ring? That can't be true. But go ahead. I know who you're talking about. When she's killing. Let's say it's Scott Speedman for now, just so we can pretend he dies. Okay. From this <laughs> ghost. Uh,. And then she comes Martin out of the Henderson. well. It's Martin Henderson. It's a Ken. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Russell, you look alike guy. Uh, Martin Henderson from Torque. Come on. I know. I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> from, about that. To- from Torque. Come on. <laughs> Scott Speedman. I just want to see him die in every movie. All right. So anyway, uh, yeah. And then there's water, but then she's like coming towards him, and then she can jump cut. So you go, oh. She can take her time, climb out of the well really slowly, but she can jump cut. So now you know she'd be hard to get away from because she can like miss frames. That is kind of a like, cool, like, yeah, like that's I, I like that gimmick. I think it's probably been done to death a bit, but uh, yeah, I do like that 
that and he I, that's the part where he loses his shit too. Like he's like, ah, it's still a little girl. Whoa, jump cut, fuck God. me! And then he knocks <laughs> over like the bookcases or. Because it's just the ghost that jump cuts. The rest of the scene doesn't jump cut. When you can yeah, jump. Yeah, there's also something. There's something really mean about it too. Like, I'm gonna. I could just kill you quickly, or I could just walk. Like, we could do this a lot of ways. But I'm just gonna jump cut to fuck with you. Like, it's such a mean way to kill somebody. Yeah. Jump cutting to them. Uh, the ghosts in Pulse, which is uh, which is called in Japanese something like Cairo, uh, their special ability is to move in slow motion. <laughs> like zombies? <laughs> Even slower than zombies, yeah. Wait, they, so it's about a signal. It's about something that moves super fast through fiber optic cables, and then its power is to move slower than... So, no. I, I think what you're thinking of is the Sarah Michelle Gellar re-envisioning of Pulse, which I don't recommend. Uh, in the original Japanese one, like that's kind of part of it, but there's oh, none of that. Same. No, they don't do any of that uh, exposition hoo-ha about, oh, it's in the hard drive, and I can't format it. I mean, there's all kinds of stupid stuff like that in the American remake. Uh, the Japanese original knows to be subtle. Um, is there a Japanese version of that lame-ass American movie about the video game killing everybody called Stay Alive, where, where there was, like, roses and fucking stagecoaches? Is there I, I, I haven't seen that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a remake of a Japanese movie. I don't know. Uh, uh, so, all right, so the jump-cutting ghost in uh, The Ring. It, it, so it made you jump, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Uh-huh. Hmm. <laughs> and made the little girl jump too. Like she, she literally, was, yeah. She can't watch it. She's like, oh, "Fuck, my hair is fucked." Well, I'm glad. I'm just glad you didn't pick the edit to the corpse in the closet because that was a no. cheat. I hate. And they that fucked kind of those up in the sequel too. Like they didn't look right. But it is Amber Tamblin's. I don't know. I'd still hit that. Okay, what was the question? <laughs> That's my number one. The question is, Ingus, what is your number one pick? for a fair jump scare. All right, I'm going to give you guys a quote from it. Awesome. Are you are you not the babysitter? <laughs> That's not a jump scare. That's not a jump scare. Yeah, there's not yeah. a single jump scare. Dingus, your definition of jump scare is so girly. I agree. I should have gone with wildebeest sounds, <laughs> but I went with... Come on, that's iconic. That's not a jump scare at all. It's it? totally not a jump scare. It's a it's a it's a surprise moment. It's where something that you didn't expect happens, not where you get startled. But go oh, ahead. Yeah, good point. I didn't get scared at all. What's great is that with within that moment, and I and I don't think I'm going to describe it because it's one of my favorite moments ever. Say, say the movie. Um, oh, oh, sorry. It's the House of the Devil, uh, directed by ty west is that how you say his name yep ty west um it's a 2009 movie the house of the devil and it has an unfair one moments before the one i think is a fair one and so uh going with tom's uh i think admittedly reasonable criteria of the thing should be in the frame that scares you um like the demon for instance that tom was talking about the thing that that scares you should be in the frame uh there's there's an unfair one but that i still love and i think is very effective is uh okay greta gerwig uh has dropped off her friend samantha um uh played by jocelyn donahue and uh and is driving away and she pulls off to light her cigarette and she can't light it and she rolls down her window and all of a sudden a lighter appears in the frame <laughs> and it says wow and the, there's a music cue for it as well and that's on purpose this, this is this is that 
typical, something's coming in the frame that you didn't know was coming. It's a lighter! Ah! And so that's that unfair jump scare that Tom's talking about. And so uh, instead, the guy holding the lighter goes, and he puts her at ease, and he's like, look, I'm sorry, I, I, I tried to scare you. You know, he, he, he gives her the lighter so she can light her cigarette, and she she's like, where did you come from? And then he... He gets this look on his face. He's a, he does a great job. And he says that he asked that question. Are you, are you not the babysitter? And the jump scare for me, because I was not expecting this to happen, and it's the thing that's already in the frame, and it's even thrusting out at you, as Tom has, uh, has suggested should be part of it. Um, so uh, that moment in, uh, in The House of the Devil uh, it freaked me out. And when Tom was talking about the audition, or audition, I'm sorry, and how all of a sudden that movie changes course, uh, at that moment, ah, when yes. that happens to me, that when Tom was talking about audition, I just started thinking about my number one choice because th- for me, at that moment, it's like, oh, this is what's going to happen in this movie. I knew it was going to be a creepy movie because of the way the movie is is toned. It's it's perfectly toned. Um, uh, I, 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 I saw that EKG sound effects when she's in her dorm. That was pretty scary, John. <laughs> Very good point, Kelly. I didn't even think about that. See. Uh, and that's the great A.J. Bowen. So you get, you guys should see, I've said it before, see, uh, along with your other assignments, uh, A Horrible Way to Die. Oh, uh, A.J. Bowen is the guy asking the question. Yep. From, oh, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't uh, look it up. Good. What's Jocelyn Donahue up to, if you know what I mean? Uh, a pound and a half? <laughs> no, that doesn't even work. <laughs> we shouldn't do podcasts anymore. Uh, all right, uh, so there we go. Those are our three by threes of fair jump scares. Uh, yeah, I don't so. really have any runners up just because I think everything else is unfair, pretty much. My favorite unfair one besides the Jaws one is the Final Destination bus one, which is super unfair because it's there's no way you would hear a bus coming at you. Well, yeah, that's the classic. Hey, you, it's only scary because the frame is is right. so narrow. Yeah, that's, that's but it's still an scene. awesome one because it's been misdirection the whole scene. Like you're looking at the other characters, so it's. Uh, it's you know, no. Anytime a car hits someone because of how the the shot is the framed, shot. It, you know, no, you don't get to do that. that's cheating. You don't get to do that. You lose points with me when you do that. Uh-huh. Losing points. Well, that's uh, what I'm saying. It's the only one that shouldn't lose points because it's lulled you. The way the bag lulled you in your thing. <laughs> uh, any runners up for you, Dingus? No, no. I, I had a hard enough time really narrowing it down to things that were fair or unfair and then trying to find two within the same movie. And yeah. yeah. That's fine. I, I liked, uh, I, I did look at Alien to try to figure out one, but, um, but it just, it didn't work for me. Yeah. And and I and I didn't when you were describing it last week. I was just thinking, why isn't he just calling it cat scares? Uh, but then, oh well, that's a whole other that's a whole other thing. And yeah. I and I just I just assumed you were talking about cat scares, but just you decided to call it jump scares for some reason. And well, uh, and then when I really thought about it, they're two entirely different things. Right, right. Cat scare is where you're scared by something that's not the substance of the movie. Is it? It's right. an innocuous thing that you think is going to be. Uh, like a scare, like isn't there a there's a cat scare early on in Aliens, I think, where doesn't a like pipe burst or something, like when they're first at the colony. But yeah, cat scares where something that is not the monster jumps out and scares you, and it can be a bird or a cat, or a lot of times it's a friendly character putting his hand on your shoulder. You know, those are all total. It's a whole other school of cheating jump scares. Well, I was just thinking of, of the the beginning for me watching 
the descent, which I still, all those things that happened in the descent made me squeal like a little baby because I saw it at midnight at Sundance. Uh, but there's it's a whole bunch of either cat scares or yeah. hallucinations or dream scares that aren't the same thing that we're talking about. Right, right, yeah. Do you think Ripley left Jonesy with someone when she took off in Aliens and never saw the cat again? Oh wait, does she never get back? Oh, you're right. She ends up like going into Bolton Steel and uh, yeah, oh, the poor cat. Years later, right. who takes care of Jonesy? Exactly, a foster family for him. I hope I so. Don't know. Maybe uh, what's his name? Watched it. Are, are the last words right. she says to him call him? Doesn't she call him shithead? Yeah, like, you're just like the dog in the you jerk. You little shit. Oh. that's a terrible way to leave your cat. Oh, now the alien movies are so bleak to me now. No, Prometheus will show us how he was a kitten. <laughs> All right. All right, we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wan, what are we doing for our 3 by 3 next week? Uh, I think you'll enjoy this one, and be thankful, because I had a really lame one that you would have to be doing instead of this chill one. This one is Three Best Uses of Profanity. Has that no? been done? Uh, I had a your favorite use of the F word. So no, uh, no, nah, nah, that's different. Well, I agree. The F word is not profanity. But are we going to want to make a distinction now, or what? Yeah, okay. I do, I do recall you can't the have the word "fuck" in it. That's not the F word I was talking. About. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe this is a weak one. Maybe, maybe this is. Should... All right. No, I, 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 I've been trying to bend this uh, to my will as well. I, I think it's fine. We can do that. All right, so next week, three best uses of profanity. Uh, and we will be seeing, and there might be profanity in this movie, so maybe this movie will qualify. Maybe for it'll be nonstop life. language. Which That's is right. There, the <laughs> language could could not stop in this movie, for all we know. Uh, we will be seeing Cabin in the Woods. Uh, I am sending out a special plea. If you're going to join us, don't watch the freaking trailer for Cabin in the Woods. Uh, and whatever you do, don't listen to us do our podcast on it until you've seen it. Uh, please. We implore you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kelly Wand and uh, Dingus, will, they can back me up on this. Uh, so join us for that next week. Join us for our 3x3 three three of uh, favorite uses of profanity. My name is Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Mar- Marto- Martovsky, I think. Yeah, Christian Martovsky. It's Christian Marowski. And Kelly Wand. The Melrose Place credits had a good fridge door scare. The- Monday there you go. Uh, oh. Take off. I get it. Now I see. Hey, we haven't talked about Dune for that. Oh, God. I'm still watching the river. Also, the fridge door scare in E.T. was rather humbling. uh, I'll sign your dick, Kelly.